One of the big debates going on right now in this town is the building of a bridge. And I'm not going to enter into the debate, simply comment on it. A bridge is built to give access to two points that are inaccessible otherwise. Once you put a bridge up, those two areas that you could not attach, that you couldn't get to, are now made accessible. They're easy to get to. That's the purpose of a bridge. And then, once that bridge is up, traffic can flow freely. Back in 1978, in October, the 33rd anniversary of the building of the bridge on the River Kwai, a New York citizen named Dennis Rowland met with his ex-guard, a Japanese gentleman, and they walked arm in arm across that bridge. He said, that is Roland, the New Yorker, said, I have no bitterness, but I have a lot of memories. When the carpenters went out to the forest to select wood to build the cross of Jesus Christ, to them it was an implement of destruction. It was something that vented their hatred and Rome's justice toward what they perceived a vicious criminal. Little did they know that when they were building that cross, it was actually the construction of a bridge that would bridge heaven and earth. Two inaccessible points. Holy God and sinful man. They couldn't get together before that. Though they tried, though man strove to do his best to find God, it was cut off. A bridge needed to be built. And strangely, upon that bridge, men who had been separated could now walk. Men who, up to this point, hated each other. Slaves, freemen. And in that culture, male and female could all walk together upon that same bridge. As Ephesians says, For He is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down the middle wall of partition that existed. And so, today we stand upon the bridge, the cross, and we want to say to Jesus Christ how thankful we are that with one hand stretched out, He grabbed His Father. With the other hand stretched out, He took mankind and He reconciled us, putting us together by the blood that was on the cross. We come today at this Good Friday service to be thankful for that very special death. Now, I know that seems odd, and don't you know to the world it's even stranger, that we would celebrate death. Because death is dreadful. Now, I know we try to beautify death, and we have beautiful flowers at funerals, and beautiful music, and beautiful sermons, and nice things, but let's face it, death is ugly. It's dreadful. To many people, we don't understand it. But this is a death that we are grateful for. We're grateful because we don't have to die eternally because someone took all of the punishment upon himself. And as dreadful as death is, it was even more dreadful for Jesus Christ because his death was vicarious. That is, it was a substitute. It was in the place of us. We deserve to die. We deserve punishment. And I have a hunch that all of us are gathered here today in this Good Friday service because we're eternally grateful that we don't have to go through the process of eternal separation, that we can celebrate 
that very special death. And because of that death, that bridge was created between heaven and earth. In the Gospel of Luke, it is recorded the crucifixion. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bore, the breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. Or if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand, the other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments, and they cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was also written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. As horrible a deed that mankind could do in putting the Son of God to the cross, This was Jesus' goal all of his life. This was his destination from birth. For even at birth, one of the gifts was myrrh. The fluid of embalming the dead. Prophetic of this man going to the Christ. This was the goal of Jesus Christ. He said, for this cause I have come into the world. This was the reason he came. This was his goal. Up in heaven, it had already been decided upon that God must become a human, must be manifest in the flesh to come to the earth 
to unravel the mess that man had gotten himself into. It all started back in the garden. When Adam, as an act of disobedience, acted independent of God, took the authority upon himself to raise himself up really higher than God by an act of disobedience. Paul tells us by that one act of sin, sin entered the world and death through sin, so that death spread to all men. And so God knew that His Son would have to become flesh, come to the earth, take upon Himself our sins to build that bridge. Because now that Adam sinned, there's this huge gap that all of the good works, all of the religion, all of the morality could not span. And that's why Jesus came. And when He breathed His last, though not recorded here, it is in the other Gospels, He said, it is finished. doesn't mean, oh, it's all over now, my life is over. He meant, the word means paid in full. It's done, it's finished, it's completed. The bridge is now there. And the bridge is open for God to come to man. The cross has been a symbol for many years, even before Christians got a hold of it. Way back in history, we have evidence of the symbol of the cross. The Egyptians had the symbol of the cross that is found in the remnants of their archaeology. It was actually a bar, a T. And the Egyptians called it the Kanab. They used it to measure the rise and fall of the Nile River. Then over in Greece, inscribed on certain things, we also find a cross, more like the Roman cross. And that was actually a symbol to worship the false god, Bacchus, the god of wine and revelry. They would bake cakes, stamp a cross on it, and they would worship. In more recent history, we find the cross added to a little bit by Adolf Hitler with his swastika. Though that was an ancient symbol, Adolf Hitler adopted it in his words, to replace the cross of the Christians. Article number 30 in his 30 articles of taking over Europe and establishing the Third Reich is to go into every church and cathedral throughout the conquered world and replace every Christian cross with the swastika. Of course, it didn't work. More people know, however, the symbol of the cross as it refers to Christianity. The cross was the cruelest form of torture ever invented. It was not invented by the Romans. It was invented by the Persians, but it was perfected by Rome. Crucifixion was perhaps the worst possible way a person could die. It was designed to keep a person alive for up to two to three days to inflict the utmost, ultimate amount of torture before death. As I said, most criminals lasted two or three days, depending if water or food was given to the criminal. The cross was reserved for the worst criminals, the worst of the worst. You had to either be a murderer, an armed robber, or a revolutionary trying to overthrow Roman government to get put on a cross. It was reserved for the worst. And if you were a Roman citizen, no matter how bad... It got, no matter what you did, it was unlawful to put a Roman citizen on a cross. 
The author Cicero said, to bind a Roman citizen is a crime, to flog him an abomination, to kill him an act of murder. But to crucify a Roman citizen, well, there, there is no fitting word to describe so horrible an act, wrote Cicero. During the Roman times, one of the Roman senators said, the very thought of the word cross should be able to be stricken from the thought processes of every Roman citizen. It was reserved for the worst, and yet Jesus was put upon that cross. Between two thieves, two insurrectionists, two revolutionaries, an innocent man, the Son of God, dying for the sins of the world. Now, they wrote an inscription. In Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. Then he has a conversation with the thieves, and one of them says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. As we look at the cross, there's a few things that come out to us. The cross shows us, number one, the depth of man's sin. The depth of man's sin. You know how deep a well is by how much rope you have to let down. You can tell how deep man has sunken in sin by how much rope God had to let down. To go to the extreme of sending His Son, God, the second person of the Trinity, to come down to this earth, shows you how low we have sunk. The depth of man's sin. Listen, don't blame the Romans. We look at Pontius Pilate, we read the story, and we go, that creep. Or we hear of these Jews, the Pharisees, and we get angry at them. We are to blame. Skip put Jesus on the cross. My sins and your sins put him on the cross. That's what we notice when we look at it. Secondly, the cross shows us the overwhelming love of God. The overwhelming love of God. If you're ever tempted to doubt the love of God for you, look at the cross. This is how God demonstrated His love for us, Paul said. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. It shows the overwhelming love of God, even though man was at his deepest. The well was deep and the rope had to be thrown out. The overwhelming love of God. It was William Barclay who wrote in his commentary, that the cross of Jesus Christ shows that there is no length to which God will refuse to go to win the hearts of men. And then he said, if the cross does not waken love and wonder in a man's heart, nothing else will. If you can contemplate the crucifixion, if you can think of that sacrifice and be totally unmoved, then nothing will move you. It's the ultimate demonstration of love. Back in World War I, a young French soldier, young, 18 years old, was so mangled in a battle that he had to have his right arm amputated. He was stricken unconscious. And the surgeon, the physician, felt so bad that this young guy would wake up and the rest of his life he wouldn't have an arm. He thought he owed it to that young man to be at his bedside and when he woke up to give him the bad news. And so the soldier awakened from the anesthesia, after the operation, and this surgeon said, young man, you've been such a brave soldier, but I have to let you know, you lost your arm. 
The boy was a bit groggy, but he said, Sir, I didn't lose my arm. I gave it for France. I didn't lose it. I gave it. People look at the cross and go, Oh, that's so horrible. He lost his life. He did not. He gave it for the world. It was not some kind of a twisted scheme that he was unable to get a hold of. Jesus said, No man takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down and to take it again. It was freely offered. So we look at the cross. It shows us the depth of man's sin. It shows us the deep also, the deep love of God. The third thing it shows us is there's no other way to get saved. The fact that Jesus went to a cross proves once and for all that man cannot get to God by good works, by going to church, by being religious, by being moral, by some 12 help program or 30 help program or whatever, or any therapy. If there was any other way we could get to heaven, God would make sure you found out about it. And if we could get to heaven by any other way than the death of Jesus Christ, then God would have answered Jesus when at the Garden of Gethsemane He said, if there's any other way, if there's some way this cup can pass from me, let it pass. God would have said, well, there is, actually. There are many roads to God and many religions. You just pick one. Then Jesus would have said, great, thanks. Then I'll skip the cross. I'll, let's just, I'll go home right now. But he didn't go home. He didn't go to heaven. At that point, he went to the cross. And that proved that there's no other way. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, in verse 42, that thief said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. To me, that is a remarkable statement. That thief showed more faith than anyone around the cross that day. The fact that he said those words showed that he had deep faith. First of all, he called Jesus Lord. He acknowledged that he was Lord, Messiah, and King because he announced, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He was saying, I believe that you're the Lord. I believe that you have a kingdom. You're a king. And I believe that you're going to go to it and one day you'll reign over all and just remember me. That's deep faith. He didn't say, remember me if you come into your kingdom. Remember me when. I have faith and assurance that you will come into your kingdom. Just remember me. And then he personalized it, didn't he? He didn't say, remember us, remember the world, or remember me. He personalized his faith in Jesus Christ. And as we come to the cross today, that's what we must do. He died for the sins of the world, but he died for us personally. You could put your name right there. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Oh, the great love of God. And the cross is to unloose our burdens. What burden do you have today? What thing is weighing you down? The hope of the resurrection that comes after the cross should unloosen the burden. There's a great book, if you haven't read it yet, called Pilgrim's Progress, written back in the 16 or 1700s by John Bunyan while he was in prison. And he sees in his... He writes about a dream that he has about a pilgrim named Christian. And in one part of the book he says, And as I dreamed, I saw Christian go up to the cross, and the burden upon his back, loosened from his shoulders, fell from his back, and rolled down toward the sepulcher, till it hit the mouth of the sepulcher, went inside, and was seen no more. And then Christian, with a lightened and a glad voice, said, By his sorrow he has given me rest. And by his death, 
He has given me life. Now the thief on the cross wanted that. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come in to your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's what we celebrate today. Several years ago in London, there was a patrolman walking his beat, carrying a stick and that big hat. And he found a little boy sitting by a corner. He was lost. He was crying. He was crying because he was lost. He didn't know how to get home. And so the patrolman, in a very calm and authoritative manner, started going through all of the rigmarole that he was trained to do to get this kid back home. He said, can you tell me the neighborhood you live in? No, I, I don't remember. Can you tell me the street you live on? No, I, I, I don't remember. Any of your neighbor's names? Sorry. And so he went through his repertoire of names of neighborhoods and streets and None of them sounded familiar to the little boy. So it was a lost case at this point. Just then, the patrolman remembered that there was, close by, a massive cathedral with a huge white cross that was sort of a landmark for everyone in town. Everybody knew where it was. So he said, that cathedral with the large white cross, do you know where that is? Do you live somewhere by there? And the little boy lit up. He goes, yes. You take me to that cross and I can find my way home. You take me to that cross and I can find my way home. You know, man is so lost and meandering and aimless. And we get our bearings, don't we, when we come to the cross. Because from the cross we can see heaven. Today you will be with me in paradise. From the cross we find our way home because that bridge has been constructed.